Greetings, and welcome to episode 20 of Ending the Sexual Dark Age. I'm J.V. Altharos, and this week I'm going to take another opportunity to feed your fantasy a bit with an erotic story. Before I get to all that, I mentioned a few weeks ago that one of my stories is being published by Ravenous Romance. I'm happy to announce that the Sugar and Spice Anthology, a collection of lesbian BDSM stories, is set to be released this week. For most of you, that will mean it's out by the time you're actually listening to this. Mira Paul was a great editor to work with, and after seeing an advanced copy, I can tell you that there are a lot of really hot stories in this book from a lot of different perspectives. Every author, including myself, always feels a touch of dread getting an edited copy of their work returned for review. And it's always a relief to read through and think, okay, that makes sense, when you do see the inevitable changes. This is the first time I've been genuinely published in a long time, and I'm pretty excited about it. I'm further excited that, as a guy, I can write lesbian BDSM that's good enough to publish. Ravenous has got a big, diverse catalog of erotica, most of it available as ebooks only, as well as a lot of audiobooks, and they are not afraid to publish edgy, kinky work, which is one of the reasons I was drawn to them in the first place. So I wanted to take a minute to give a shameless shout-out to everyone over at Ravenous Romance just to say thanks for being cool people who are really good at what you do. If you're a listener who likes to read erotica, you should check out their catalog. If you write erotica for publication, and I know I've got quite a few writers out there as well, you should be submitting to Ravenous. They've usually got a half dozen calls for anthology submissions at any given time on some fun and inspiring subjects. In fact, I just finished writing a story today for another submission to them. Getting around towards today's story, most of you also know that I recently finished my first novel, working title The Price of Mercy, which I wrote as the first part of an epic erotic fantasy that could easily span five novels, possibly more. I put it aside for a few months after I finished it so I could get a little bit of distance and come back at it with fresh eyes, and I am currently on the long, slow, polishing stage. There isn't room for a whole lot of character development in short stories, but a compelling novel has just got to have deep, believable characters. Even though you can have upwards of 100,000 words to work with, there's still a limit to what you've got room for in the novel. Authors spend a ton of time coming up with backstories and histories and even writing scenes that will never wind up in print as anything more than a footnote or casual mention, just because either they don't have room or they can't afford too many distractions from the central plots. When I was developing the characters for The Price of Mercy and fleshing out their backstories, how they'd met, etc., I repeatedly thought to myself, that would be a great story to tell, I wish I had room for it. And the artistic purist in me wants my readers to know the characters as well as I do. So I decided to write a batch of prequel short stories, introducing the world of Aodar and some of the main characters from the book. I say all that to say that the story I'm telling today is the first of those introductory tales, and to explain why it's heavier on storyline and character than my short stories usually are. The last Erotica show was really well received by you guys, and quite a few of you have specifically asked for more, so I look forward to your feedback as I continue exploring the audiobook format. And as far as more, here you are. The Taking of Ariel, A Tale of the World of Aodar, by J.V. Altharos. The tavern was dimly lit, filled with the oily smoke of lanterns and the smell of roasting meat. Business appeared to be good, and the main hall was filled with nearly a hundred people. Many soldiers returning home to Corellia were mixed in with local merchants and scoundrels. A half-dozen serving wenches tended to the patrons while the tavern's whores plied their trade in the rooms upstairs. A minstrel played in one corner, filling the room with raucous drinking songs. Arius had come out this night for a break from his newfound responsibilities as Lord of Exodus, and he had instructed his companions to join him in dressing inconspicuously. Regardless, the lot of them were battle-hardened officers and went nowhere without their blades. Half a dozen men followed Arius to an open table in the back of the tavern, where they ordered a round of bitter but potent Saragon ale. 
Arius was uncertain his spirits could possibly be lifted, and sat quietly as his companions laughed and told stories. He had gone in a flash from the reckless heir to the Lord himself, and his heart was still black with the death of his father. A part of him wouldn't stop thinking that there should have been something he could have done to prevent it. The deposed King Duras of Saragus had called upon his father, Lord Gerald, for aid. Gerald had been quick to respond by marching all the armies of his province to support his lifelong friend. They had succeeded in quashing the usurper and returning Duras to power, but the cost had been great. In one last act of defiance, the king's traitorous nephew had contracted the murder of Lord Gerald in retaliation. In the middle of a busy plaza, both the Lord of Exodus and his Kelinar guardian had been struck by darts tipped with a poison so deadly its manufacture was punishable by death. Gerald, twelfth provincial Lord of Exodus, was gone before he fell. Now Arius, his father gone less than a fortnight, found himself with the mantle of leadership squarely on his shoulders, decades ahead of when he'd expected. His father had always advised him to embrace youth and to see whatever he wanted of the world while he still had some shred of it left. Arius had been more than happy to spend his time chasing after blood and lust across the six kingdoms of Aodar, but all that had come to a swift end that day in the Saragon capital. Gerald had not only restored his friend to the throne, but had sealed peace between the kingdoms of Corellia and Saragus for generations to come. While King Tyrrell of Corellia was not thrilled by his lords marching armies onto foreign soil without his consent, he was certainly pleased with the political result. King Duras swore an oath of blood to the House of Exodus, and had Gerald's body preserved and laid in state as a hero of Saragus. Arius now presided over the long voyage home, stopping in every major Saragon port so that the people could pay their respects to his father. They came out in throngs, and while the comfort was cold, it was good to know that his father's sacrifice had not been in vain. Alana was to be their last stop before sailing for home. Arius was feeling the weight of leadership already and steeling himself to take up the banner of his family's legacy. Exodus was the most powerful province in the kingdom of Corellia, widely seen as the birthplace of modern civilization, and ruled by his family since the forging of the kingdom. It now came to Arius to protect and advance that legacy, and the scope of it was immense. His twenty-eight years had not quite prepared him for the task, but his father had often said that nothing really could. Tyrell, his closest friend and sworn guardian, had insisted they get off the ship for some drinking and wenching while in port. A short way from the docks there were several taverns well known by the Corellian soldiers, and with an army heading home they were busy. Thus Arius and a handful of his officers found their way into the Laughing Dog that night. Many Corellians tended to see the olive-skinned Saragons as few steps up from savages. The educated saw them as a twisted reflection of what Corellia may have become had history taken a different route. Some rather barbaric customs regarding slavery were alive and well here centuries after the institution had evolved in Corellia. For a man whose ancestor had been the first to grant rights and protections to slaves, walking the streets of Saragus could be infuriating. King Duras had made a pledge to begin bringing his nation into the modern world, in honor of his debt to their house. Arius was lost in thought, about to call for another ale, when a busty redhead plopped herself in Tyrell's lap. Then a petite brunette sat in his own. Startled, he managed a grin as she said, The pair of you look far too serious. How might we entertain you? Arius smiled broadly as he took in the sight of her. Dark, straight hair flowed well past her shoulders, and his skin was too light to be Saragon. Something in her eyes captivated him immediately, though he knew the girls were simply obeying their master. The colors around their necks marked them as slaves, and their bearing marked them as two of the tavern's prostitutes. 
Arius winked in replied. Improving the view is an excellent start. Tell me your name. Ariel, sir, he asked. How did you come to serve here? You seem a bit refined for such surroundings. Ariel replied, You flatter me needlessly, sir. I was born a slave and educated to serve in the harem of my former master. He was among those who supported the revolution. After his execution, all his possessions, including his slaves, were confiscated by the king and sold. Master Vargas bought several of us, though he went deeply into debt to do so. He feels we might draw in a higher class of patron. She traced his chin with her finger, smiling seductively. I can see that his plan has succeeded already. Across the table, Tyrell's attention was held by the other slave. Before Arius could respond to Ariel, a scrawny, sour man behind the bar shouted, Dolia, you've got a customer! Arius presumed that would be Vargas, owner of the Laughing Dog. The slave in Tyrell's lap kissed him and promised to return soon, before joining a man at the bar and leading him upstairs. Tyrell then looked across the table with a knowing glance, and Arius asked, Must you listen to everything I think? Tyrell laughed, as if I need to touch your mind to know what's in it. True enough, Arius grinned. A curious Ariel asked Tyrell, You are Kelinar? Tyrell nodded. Amidst their many other roles, the Order of Kelinar were responsible for safeguarding Corellian nobility. Their preternatural skills in battle and their mental prowess were legendary, some of the last vestiges of the ancient arcane arts. After regaining his throne, King Duras accepted a Kelinar guardian into his palace to protect him, and the entire realm was fluttering with gossip. The skills of the Order were far beyond the charms and rituals utilized by healers and shamans, and the stuff of fireside tales across Eodar. Ariel leaned in and whispered, Do you watch over one of these men? Indeed, Tyrell winked. You're sitting in his lap. With that, Arius playfully squeezed her backside and was rewarded by a girlish giggle. Despite his better judgment, he felt himself immediately taken with this girl. Saurigan slaves enjoyed virtually none of the rights known to their counterparts in Corellia. Here they could be used for sex without their consent and had no legal protection from abuse. To be a whore in this tavern was an ignoble fate for a slave educated to serve in a harem, and Arius was beginning to think that this might be a perfect opportunity to exercise the vast treasury that he now controlled. Settling into the seat of power would bring many challenges, and oddly enough, taking slaves had been low on his list of concerns. Until this one that appeared in his lap, at least. He knew he would regret leaving such a creature to while out her days in this cesspool. A few moments later, Dahlia's customer stormed down the stairs, ahead of her, and began shouting at Vargas, telling him that his whores needed to learn their place. Arius felt Ariel's body tense as many eyes turned to the confrontation. Vargas reached across the bar and grabbed Dahlia by the hair, slapping her face with his free hand. "'Explain yourself, whore!' he demanded. Dahlia said, "'He's got souls all over him! He's diseased! No one should have to spread her legs for that!' Vargas slapped her again, then slammed her face down on the bar. He said, "'This isn't some noble's harem, whore! You don't choose who you fuck, and you don't turn away a paying customer!' He held her head down and pulled a stiff-tailed flail from beneath the bar. He gave her three merciless lashes on the back, saying, Maybe I should just have him use you right here, bent over the bar to teach you a lesson. The irate customer began pawing at Dahlia's thin dress, and more blows from the flail were beginning to draw blood. One of the bruises responsible for keeping order had drawn close to his employer and stood watch silently. Arius was ready to spring out of his seat. He'd always tried to respect the laws and customs of any place he wandered. He was not the same man that had sailed into Saragus months ago, however. Arius, heir to Lord Gerald, had been able to follow his whims. He often stood tall on behalf of the weak, as his nobility required of him, but had the leisure of choosing his battles. 
Arius, Lord of Exodus, had no such reprieve. He had a duty both to his nature and his lineage, and was about to step into his own for the first time. As the abuse continued, Arius felt rage-building, and every fiber of his being screamed to defend this slave. The House of Exodus had brought an end to this sort of brutality in Corellia centuries ago. Foreign land or not, no worthy Corellian lord would allow such a thing to continue in his presence. He pushed a thought to Tyrell. I'm about to end this. I would expect no less, Tyrell silently encouraged. Arius lifted a distraught Ariel out of his lap as if she were a doll, setting her on her feet before leaping out of his chair with Tyrell close behind. They closed the distance to the bar in a flash. Before the bruiser knew what was happening, a boot to the knee and a forearm to the throat had him gasping for breath on the floor. The rest of the Lord's men remained at the table, ready to move. Arius flung the customer to the side and snatched the flail right from the hand of a shocked Vargas, immediately flipping it around and striking his face. Another quick swing had the tails wrapped around his neck, allowing a yank on the handle to slam his head down on the bar. Vargas would not release his grip on Dahlia and called for aid. The music went silent as the minstrel's attention was drawn to the fray, and several more of the tavern's bruisers approached the bar. Arius drew his dagger and put it to the tavern owner's throat. The young lord shouted, One step closer and you shall all be seeking new employment. He then leaned in close to Vargas and said, I see only one person in need of a lesson in manners here, and it is not this slave. Vargas defiantly replied, This horde is my property and I am within the law. You have no right to interfere. Watch your tongue, dog said Tyrell. You address a lord of Corellia. Ha! Vargas snorted. This upstart is no noble. Unhand me this instant, and I'll let you walk out of here alive. Vargas banged his fist on the bar, and several of the Sarigan patrons stood, reaching for weapons. I don't think bleeding me over a whore is worth your life, boy, but I suppose we shall know soon enough. You chose the wrong tavern to stir up trouble in. I pay my dues to the guard. Ariel watched in awe. She had known her share of Sarigan nobles, but few carried themselves with actual nobility. Though she knew something of Corellian customs, their enlightened view of slavery was something of a taboo subject this far south. No Sarigan master wanted his slaves imagining a brighter future to the north. Never before had someone stood to defend a slave in front of her eyes, and the sight had her heart racing with the thought of serving such a man. As the Sarigans started to advance, Arius bellowed, Warriors of Corellia, stand and be counted with the Lord of Exodus. The Saragans froze in their tracks, and every eye in the house was now engaged. Arius' companions stood, their hands on their blades, moving out from their table at the wall. The tavern was indeed full of loyal swords. Even though most did not know their new lord personally, one look at the signet on his finger banished any doubts. Moments later, two dozen men stood with Arius, and the Saragans quickly found their seats. For the first time, fear and realization crept into Vargas's eyes. This was indeed a Corellian lord, and that meant the man beside him was Kelinar. Now, Arius said in a calm, ominous voice, shall I inform King Duras that Vargas of the Laughing Dog ordered an attack on the Lord of Exodus? I presume that might not go well for you, but if we are indeed to have Saragan law sort this out, I suppose there will be little choice. Suddenly compliant, Vargas pleaded, No, no, my lord, please accept my apologies. I had no idea who you were. Vargas could not believe his misfortune and was now looking for ways to get out of this unscathed. Better, Arius replied, holding his blade steady. Unhand this slave. Vargas obediently released his grip on a sobbing, bloody Dahlia. Ariel ran to her, taking the beaten girl in her arms. Arius asked Ariel, This is one of the slaves who arrived here with you? Ariel nodded. 
Is this sort of savagery commonplace here? Again, he saw a nod. Pushing the dagger deeper into Vargas's neck, drawing a trickle of blood, Arya said, Consider yourself fortunate. I am here to personally inform you that your king has vowed to bring Saurigan slavery into the modern world, and you have the privilege of being an example to all. Vargas began to tremble. Because I am merciful, I believe that we might find a resolution that does not involve the king, and also does not involve burning this tavern to its foundation with you nailed to the bar. Arya slammed his fist on the wood to underline the point. Vargas started at the sound, crying out as the blade in his throat did not yield. Feeling his face swelling up with a flail had struck him, he was now concerned less with escaping unscathed and more with escaping alive. Arya sheathed his dagger and released his hold on the barman, unwinding the flail from his neck. Vargas hesitantly lifted his head. Arius leaned his elbows on the bar and folded his arms, saying, Now that we all know who we are, perhaps we might find a civilized end to this. Arius wanted nothing more than to put this savage's head on a pike in the street. He forced himself to ask what his father would have done, to find a noble solution that made the appropriate statement. He asked, Do you agree to settle this dispute as a matter of Corellian law? Vargas had little choice. Saragan law would have his head for threatening a nobleman from any nation ignorant or not. His answer was a hesitant nod. Arius said, Ariel, collect the other slaves. Valen, he called out towards his men, be sure no customers protest. A tall's heavily muscled Saragon stepped out of the group of officers, following Ariel as she headed upstairs. Arius asked, How much did you pay for these slaves? Four thousand all told. That was a suspiciously high price by Saragon's standards. Arius heard a snort from across the room and called out, Whoever that was, stand and speak. A patron rose from a table near the stage and said, I sold him those slaves for twenty-five hundred, and he still owes over two thousand of that. And if I might be so bold, in exchange for preferred tariffs for my shipments into your lordship's ports, I should be happy to be informative on any topic of your interest. Arius shook his head with a sigh, and here I was, trying to be civilized. In a flash, he grabbed Vargas by the hair. Ariel came back down into the tavern, followed by Valen and three other slaves, just in time to see Arius cutting a deep gash into the barman's cheek. He asked, Do you know what this means? Vargas nodded, blood beginning to drip from his chin. In ancient times, Corellians had mocked their prisoners for death by carving an X into their cheeks. Though only the provincial lords still retained the right to practice the custom, it was well known. He hadn't been able to resist an attempt to turn a profit on the slaves, and the cut on his cheek was the epitome of a final warning. Arius released Vargas and turned his attention to the slaves. They were all attractive and reasonably young, what one would expect in a Saragan harem. Ariel introduced the others as Riel, Suni, and Tamar. All things considered, it seemed to the young lord that Vargas had gotten a bargain. He said to them, I intend to purchase the lot of you, to have your service for no less than five years. Would any of you refuse to submit to Corellian law? Eyes wide with hope, they shook their heads. Arius called out to the slaver, Name yourself. Pagar, my lord, purveyor of all things exquisite. I am here this evening to collect a payment on the property in question. And so you shall. Will you accept a marker from the House of Exodus for payment in full for these slaves? Gleefully. So be it. It seems that this day is simply brimming with good fortune for most of us. Pagar, I now have need of eyes in Alna which can pay special attention to the laughing dog. So long as you continue to provide this small service, you have your preferred status in my ports. 
The first of your ships to arrive after my return may collect your payment for these slaves. Pagar nodded with a smile. Chance had won him a profitable victory, and Vargas's inevitable rage was well worth it. Turning his attention back to the barman, Arius said, I deem you unworthy to keep ownership of these slaves, thus I am confiscating them. The king will hear none of this so long as you heed what I am about to say. Should I ever hear word of your abuse of another slave, I will return here to burn this tavern to the ground with my own hands. Within these walls, slaves will be kept and protected as they would in Corellia. Do you understand? Vargas nodded, blood still dripping from his face, ready to do or say anything to get this lord out from under his roof. Losing the whores would cost him, and he dare not ask reimbursement for what he'd already paid. But it was well past time to cut his losses. Arius held out his hand, demanding the key to their collars. Shortly they were in a pile on the bar. Now, said Arius, we simply have the matter of punishment for the crime of abusing a slave, which is to have that same abuse turned back upon you. The remaining color drained from Vargas's face. Since I simply don't have time to have you raped with a diseased cock, we shall have to settle for just the flail. Vargas began to protest, but Valen was already upon him, dragging him out from behind the bar and lashing his wrists to one of the columns supporting the upper floor. Arius offered the flail to Dahlia, who had gone from panicked to furious. The girl obviously had spirit. With a wicked grin, she took the flail, bringing it down upon her former master's back with all her might, then switching to a two-handed grip. As she beat him, she began screaming insults, and Arius couldn't suppress a laugh when he heard, "'Shove this flail in your ass and light it on fire!' Though he was quite entertained, after a dozen or so blows, he caught her hand. Before being pulled away, Dahlia planted a kick squarely between his legs from behind, saying, "'And that is for forcing me to touch that scrawny, filthy thing you call a cock!' Valen cut Vargas down amidst chuckles from the crowd to turn him over to his bruises. Arius gathered his companions and purchases, preparing to leave. They needed to have Dahlia's wounds treated and get the slaves some proper traveling clothes. Arius turned toward the door and saw every Corellian soldier in the tavern standing at attention. Each man saluted formally as he passed, in an unsolicited show of respect. He had begun to find his footing as the Lord himself and these warriors were telling him that they could see it. Tyrell silently joked, I see you're done feeling sorry for yourself. For the record, you were being insufferable, but that was the first time I've seen the Lord of Exodus since your father fell. Arius chuckled aloud as they exited the tavern and replied, Much more to come, brother. We have work to do. Ariel sped up her pace to get beside Arius, wrapping her arm around his. Fate had looked her in the eye and she could not turn away. She had been selected to serve in a harem because she was naturally submissive. She felt most fulfilled at the feet of a powerful man. He would, of course, marry some noble lady and produce an heir. But if he was to have many slaves, he would need a first, a shikar. She had seen enough of him already to know that she wanted that honor. Ariel said, I thank you, master, for your gift of five years to repay your kindness. I eagerly await your use of me. Her eyes made him want to pull her into an alley right there. They stopped briefly near the docks to buy traveling clothes for the slaves. The thin revealing dresses they'd worn to attract customers had no place on a ship, and they were replaced with simple trousers, boots, and tunics. Dahlia's wounds were treated by the ship's healer immediately upon their return, and soon she was resting comfortably. 
That night they departed Alanar for the fortnight's journey to the shores of Exodus. Arius took advantage of the time to educate his new slaves regarding Corellian laws and customs, that slaves had many protections under the law and could always appeal to the courts for protection from neglect or abuse. They were amazed that they now had a choice as to whether their bodies would be used for pleasure. They had all been well-trained and educated and could live out their contracts quite comfortably as scribes or servants if they chose. One normally wouldn't pay so much for a labor slave, but considering the circumstances, Arius considered it a random act of kindness. These girls had gone from luxury to filth through no fault of their own, and fortune had brought them into his path. The slaves had expected to be used by the crew, but this was the Exodon flagship. Sex aboard ship was considered horribly uncivilized by Corellians, unless one had enough to share with everyone. Arius could simply make an exception as lord, and he was tempted, but he would not begin his reign under such a tone. He also would not see them used as common whores, at least not before they had a say in it, so he ironically found himself deflecting advances from Ariel and Dahlia. They were both spirited, beautiful, sexual creatures, and he knew he would take one of them as his shikar. Visions of Ariel's eyes haunted him as he slept alone in his cabin. The girls had time to consider their options, and Arius put no pressure on them. Tyrell spent much of the journey playing his lute, painting vivid landscapes of Corellian life in their minds through his music and arts. It was a peaceful journey, but eventually they did reach Exodus. The body of Lord Gerald was nearly home. The journey from Gullsport to Exodus was a solemn two-day procession, with the slaves in one of many carriages and Arius at the vanguard in full armor, along with those men closest to himself and his father. Lord Gerald was loved and respected by his people, and they had come out in hordes to pay their homage. Once they neared the city of Exodus, it seemed to the slaves that the entire kingdom lined the streets. The city was immense to them, larger even than the Saragon capital of Danas and they stared agape off the carriage windows. A grand promenade leading past a massive basalt castle was lined with soldiers in gleaming armor, behind whom countless citizens cheered. It was obvious that these people truly loved their rulers, a sight uncommon in Saragus. Gerald's body would be laid in state in the audience chamber of Castle Exodus, awaiting the arrival of King Tyrrell and his internment in the crypt. Lord Gerald's slaves were awaiting his casket in the audience chamber, and in keeping with tradition, at least one of the three would be with him every moment until his crypt was sealed. Roland, the castle's chief steward, had kept the house in good order as usual. There was a mountainous backlog of official business awaiting Arius, but he needed to stave it off for one more day while he got his bearings. The girls were taken to a plush sleeping chamber where a meal was set out on a low table in the center of the room. Silken pillows of all sizes lined the floor, and each wall had a door. It seemed that Corellian chamber slaves lived quite well, and the slaves enjoyed the best meal they'd seen since leaving their former master's estate. They were given short, simple robes, and their traveling clothes were sent off to the washroom. After a while, Arius arrived along with Kiara, his father's shikar. She had served Gerald at will, able to claim freedom any time she liked, but would have a place in the House of Exodus until she chose otherwise. With Gerald's death, she would no longer be its first slave. She would ensure that her successor was able. Only Ariel and Dahlia chose to serve as chamber slaves, but that suited Arius well. The other girls were a tad young for his tastes these days, and he was happy enough to have snatched them from life on their backs at the Laughing Dog. 
He might sell their contracts eventually, but for the moment they had safe haven behind his walls and would always be protected by Karelian law. Arius locked plain collars around the necks of Tamar, Sunni, and Riel, before Kiara led them to simpler quarters nearby. When Kiara returned, both Ariel and Dahlia wore the engraved silver collars of chamber slaves. Arius sent Dahlia to the healer's ward with Kiara, for a final treatment of the wounds on her back. The lashes would scar without treatment from a master healer. Finally alone with Ariel, Arius led her through a door into the slaves' baths. The room was lined with the same basalt as the rest of the castle, with two large pools that each seemed to have been cut from a single, massive slab. Stone benches surrounded the pools, and lanterns lit the dim chamber. The air was thick with steam, and the stones were warm beneath her feet. Arius rested his hands on her hips from behind and pulled her close, whispering, I believe a full inspection of my property is long overdue. His breath felt cool on her neck, and her pulse quickened. Long overdue indeed, master, said Ariel, pulling open her robe. But I fear I am barely presentable. I've not seen a bath or a razor for weeks. Fear not, slave. Those issues will soon be sorted out. Every night on the ship, Ariel had silently masturbated to the thought of this moment. She'd played out the scene from the tavern a thousand times in her mind. How effortlessly he'd picked her up off his lap, imagining those arms holding her, wishing he'd used her right there. She couldn't get over how comfortable it felt to be in his thrall, as if a part of her had already determined she'd belonged to him all along. After the voyage, she felt anything but attractive and had hoped to clean herself up before his first use, but this only made her feel more desired. A Saragon noble would never consider lowering himself to bathing his slave. And it seemed she did indeed have much to learn of her new home. Master wanted her, from tangled hair to stubbly legs, and that made her feel gorgeous. He had this way about him, this casual charm that seemed to bewitch everyone around him. Arius would likely use Dahlia sometime later that night, and the thought didn't bother Ariel in the slightest. But in this moment she could easily fool herself into believing that he was entirely hers. In the harems of Saragus, when the girls daydreamed of what an ideal master might be, this was the kind of man they imagined. Here, alone with him, she could think of nothing but pleasing her new master. Not out of duty, but sheer desire. Ariel asked, May I help you out of your clothes, master? Arius nodded and she began removing his boots, then stood in front of him to unbutton his shirt. She ran her hands over his chest and shoulders, feeling the warrior's muscles beneath the fabric. She smiled as his shirt parted, seeing just enough hair on his chest to make him look like a man. Her fingers traced the map of scars on his body, as she imagined that each was the result of some heroic deed. When she asked why they had not fully healed, he just laughed and replied that he couldn't drag proper healers everywhere. Ariel neatly folded his shirt and placed it on the bench next to his boots, then turned her attention to his trousers. His thick cock sprung free, half erect, and she couldn't resist giving it a kiss while he stepped out of the last of his clothes. After folding his pants and her robe, she returned to kneel at her new master's feet. Your slave eagerly waits your inspection, master. He instructed her to rise, then took her hand and led her into the pool. His eyes pierced her, but she did not resist, laying her soul bare to let him perceive whatever he might. Arius led her to the waist-deep center of the pool, and before she knew it, the powerful hands from her fantasies were soaping her responsive flesh. 
Ariel closed her eyes as he washed her hair, the sensation of nudging her off into subspace. As he rinsed her with a pitcher filled from the pool, Ariel pictured all of her former life being washed away with the filth of the voyage. The pitcher set aside, Arius slipped his hand between her legs and whispered, Before we leave this room, I will know every inch of this body, slave. She leaned into him, reveling in the sensation of hard flesh pressing into her back, the fragrance of the soap still filling her nostrils. His fingers teased her, caressing her lips without ever parting them. She cringed at the feeling of his fingers catching on stubble. Please, master, allow me to shave myself. He turned her around, easily lifting her in the air. Ariel reflexively wrapped her legs around him, holding on tight, aching in desire to have him inside her. But a good slave would always wait on her master's pleasure unless instructed otherwise. Arius carried her to the edge of the pool and sat her on the warm stone, reaching for a shaving kit beside the pool. Her pulse quickened when he prepared a cup of lather, as she realized he intended to shave her himself. Master should not perform such a menial task, she said. Nonsense, Arius chuckled. What better way to examine my new plaything? She could think of several, but remained silent. She lay back, propped up on her elbows, legs spread wide, feeling pampered, content, and more aroused than she could remember. He used a soft brush to cover her legs in shaving foam, then turned his attention between them, rewarded with a small squeal as the bristles tickled her clit. His eyes devoured her, keeping her gaze while the brush taunted her swollen lips. Ariel's new master was a tease, and she was indescribably thankful. Sit up, said Arius, and put your hands over your head. Ariel did as commanded, and he stepped closer, the head of his cock pressing into her slick mound. He leaned in to taste each of her nipples before slowly kissing a path to her ear, drawing back just as she tried to kiss it. She begged him with her eyes, but dared not lower her hands lest she invite punishment. Arius lathered beneath her arms, then began the task of shaving her. She could hear her heart pounding in her ears as the razor gently scraped her electrified flesh. Done under her arms, Arius set the razor to the side and finally allowed her to taste his lips. Hers parted eagerly, and a soft moan escaped her as their tongues danced for a lingering moment. Arius instructed her to lay back, which she did with a whine and a pout. He was taking the time to seduce her, though as master he had no need to do so, but she was already under his spell. Ariel lay flat on the stone, unable to resist playing with her nipples, hoping he would allow her to continue. He just smiled and turned his attention back to the razor. She yearned to slip a hand between her legs, pinching her own nipples to distract herself with the pain, the heat, the razor waking up every nerve in her skin, the intensity on his face as he shaved and inspected her. She wanted to beg him for release, but stayed silent and pinched harder. Finally, Ariel's legs were smooth, and the slave felt a finger slip inside her. Arching her back, she moaned wantonly and squirmed on the stone. His finger slid slowly upwards, passing her clit in a whisper of ecstasy and hooking beneath her hood, pulling the flesh taut so the razor wouldn't cut. A few more brief moments and the slave's entire body was smooth. Her master filled the water pitcher and again slipped a finger inside her. She had been too close to orgasm for longer than she could stand. Able to take no more, the slave pleaded, Please, master, let me come. Suddenly another finger was inside her and his thumb found her clit. She arched her back again, thrashing on the stone, 
and the rush of the water washing her clean pushed her over the edge. Screams filled the chamber, echoing into a symphony, while the slave lay quivering in rapture on the floor. Thank you, master, she finally said. Her finger absent-mindedly toyed with her collar as a silly smile crept across her face. Let this be a lesson, slave, he said softly. I take very good care of my playthings, and you may be surprised what you can get simply by begging for it. In fact, I suspect there may be another climax in there for you. His fingers still feeling sporadic contractions, Arius knelt in the pool and ran his tongue up her slit, exploring every sweet fold of flesh. Ariel panted as he sucked her clit into his mouth, flicking it against his teeth with an agile tongue. The slave was quickly moaning again, throwing her legs over his shoulders. She arched her back, grinding herself into his face with abandon, feeling the world melt away as she came again and again. Soon she was senseless with ecstasy, splayed out on the floor and adrift in the warm haze of subspace. Her master leaned over her, propped up on his elbows, letting his cock land on her slit with a thud. She stirred and was greeted by his lips. The taste of her own juices filled her mouth, and her legs wrapped around him. Please fuck me, master. Your slave is not whole without you inside her. Not yet, he replied. We have a matter of business to attend. You are the first slave taken by the new lord of Exodus. I would be lax if I flaunted tradition by using an undocumented slave. He brushed back her hair and looked into her eyes with a soft smile. I swear to you, slave, on the honor of the house of Exodus, that so long as you kneel before me you will live in whatever luxury I provide myself, to be well kept, well protected, and above all, well used. In time, should you grow to love me, that love will be returned tenfold, so long as I always retain your absolute, unwavering obedience. After a quick kiss, he asked, do you accept the terms of your service? I do, master. It is my honor to serve. And you honor me with your service, slave. Arya stood, then took her hands and pulled her upright. Grasping the slave's hair, he pulled her head back and placed a single, gentle kiss on her neck. Come now, he said. You have a contract to sign. If you're a good girl, you'll be signing it bent over the desk, with my cock buried inside you. Ariel threw her arms and legs around him and held him tight as he stood in the pool, burying her face in his chest. In her own heart, she had belonged to him the instant he'd risen to defend Alia, and every moment since had reinforced what her heart had known. She had found her master, and she would never willingly leave him. The End Thanks for joining me once again, and I hope I was able to fan your flames a bit this time around. As always, please feel free to join in the conversation by posting anonymously on sexualdarkage.com, anywhere including the bathroom wall, emailing jvaltheros at gmail.com, or calling into the listener line at 517-376-3116. You can also find Shara and I on Facebook, Twitter, and now fetlife.com through links on the website. And if you have iTunes, please take the time to give us a good rating or review to help get the show out to more listeners. A lot of you guys have been doing that already, and it really is making a difference in our rankings. If lesbian BDSM stories get your juices flowing, remember to pick up a copy of Sugar and Spice, edited by Mira Paul, from Amazon or RavenousRomance.com. There will be links up on SexualDarkAge.com just as soon as the book's actually live. After I sign off, if you happen to have 5 minutes and 28 seconds to hang around, 
You'll hear a song that I did many years ago about a little place called Castle Exodus. Actually, this is the song that inspired a short story that mutated into a living, breathing fantasy realm called Aodar. And I should also say, since we've been talking about sex and music recently, Castle Exodus is, appropriately enough, a terrific song to fuck to. Until next time, this be me, J.V. Altharos, reminding you that sex is one of the greatest things in life, and there is always room for better. So many.
Still through the night the music plays 